in your Bibles to Romans chapter number 12. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12. It, uh, it is a blessing to work with pastor, um, but it's not always easy. And it's never been easy. Um, man, when we were younger and we had a painting company, um, I remember uh, there was a, a college. As a matter of fact, you Georgia fans, um, you ought to know this college now. Probably did not know much at all about it before this year, but somehow uh, Georgia played Ball State. And I was like, Psh, well, you might as well just drop Georgia down in the rankings if they're playing Ball State. I mean, come on. Uh, Ball State, we were about 25 minutes from Ball State up there in Indiana, um, a small Christian college. And um, uh, I've been in their football field, and I knew that game had to be played at Georgia because I've been at their football field, and uh, I sat on the top on the top seat, on the top of the bleachers up there. And um, well, we were there with a couple teenagers, and some of my teenagers came in, and they were like, Pastor Adam, as soon as we walked in the gate over there, we heard you talking. And um, so when I heard Georgia played Ball State, I was like, hmm, uh, yeah, sounds like some cheating going on. But anyways, um, they had a new president move on there on Ball State. They had just moved there. They bought a house right around the corner from Ball State, and they were going through. They were fixing this house up, making it uh, really nice, and they had put down some hunter green carpet in the living room. And um, I don't know why they put that down before they had us come in and paint, but um, we had to come in and paint. And uh, not a big deal. We were professionals, and uh, we don't make messes. And um, we were in there, and we were painting. We were painting the ceiling. And um, I should say, most of us were professionals and didn't make messes. But um, Pastor was there, and uh, he was painting, and I think he had to trim around a fan or a light right in the middle of the living room. And he's up there painting around that and uh, had his bucket on top of his ladder and had to get down for something and left his bucket there and came back. And I don't know if he was the one who did it or someone else uh, was walking by and bumped the ladder and that bucket went boom. And uh, we had tarps down, but uh, you dump a whole bucket of paint on a tarp uh, above hunter green carpet and uh, it bleeds through really, really fast. And, uh, man, we scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed on that carpet. Uh, we went through every rag we had. Uh, my dad was telling us, guys, uh, you know, we wore our shirts and then had a T-shirt on underneath. He's like, take off your T-shirts. And so we were taking off our T-shirts, putting our shirts back on, trying to clean that carpet. And we worked on that. I uh, got everything up we could. And you could just barely see this, this light spot there. And... Um, we got done painting, and we moved their couch right over that spot. And uh, um, no, my dad, my dad did talk to them. It actually was right where their couch sat. And um, uh, so my dad showed him, talked to him, and the guy was like, oh, I couldn't even see that unless you said something about it. He's like, oh, that's all right. But um, that was pastor. So um, you spend a lot of time cleaning up pastor's messes. That's, that's just the moral of that story, I guess. Um, no. Uh, He's good to work with most times. Uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1. <clears throat> the Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Um, I told you the last time I preached that this year uh, in, in the youth services, we are going, um, our theme is uh, level up, taking it to the next level. And that these are our theme verses here. You know, at the bottom of verse 2, it says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I, I want to try and live in that perfect will of God. And um, so we've kind of been focused on that. But the last couple of weeks, we, as we came to verse 2, we've kind of been stuck right here. And it says, and be not conformed to this world. Um, and the Bible says we're not to be conformed to the world. We're not to be made like the world. And God has created us in his image. He tells us that in Genesis. And um, the world, that world system going in an opposite direction from what God would have and the Bible says we're not to be conformed to that world. Um, we are not to take, uh, we're not to become more like them. And uh, we're not to, if I can say it this way, allow them to define what is right and wrong. Um, I'm not to be conformed to them physically, but also uh, mentally and spiritually. And um, you've heard the illustration so many times that um, as if you will, if you had God all the way over here, as God is perfect, and this is what we ought to strive to be, and yet the church is over here, and, and obviously we're not going to be perfect until we get to heaven, so uh, while we ought to strive for that, we, we cannot achieve perfection there with God, but, but we're here, if you will, and, and we're trying to live like him, and then you have the world over here, um, do, doing their own thing, and so often as the world takes a step or takes another step away from God, that the church ends up taking a step in the same direction. And, and obviously the, the problem there is our vision, where we are looking. Um, if I'm looking onto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and I'm looking at who he is, as he stays here, because the Bible says he changes not. Am I, am I right there? Um, he says, I'm the Lord, I change not. Here he is. If my eyes are on him and I'm striving to be like him, it doesn't matter how far the world goes, I'm not going in that direction. But too often, as we live in the world, and even Jesus said we we're going to be in the world, we're not supposed to be of the world, but we are in the world, too often our eyes, like Peter, get stuck on the things going on around us. And we see the world there and we say, I don't want to be the world, but if we're not careful with our eyes on the world, as we see the world take a step in this direction, we are more focused on not being like the world, and I'm still not like the world when I take a step in that direction too. Because they've gone a little more to the extreme. I'm still not like them, but my eyes are focused on what's going all around, so I'm still doing pretty good because I'm looking at them, and they take another step, and I'm over here, but I'm still not like them, and um, if we're not careful, we're like the Pharisee who came in and bowed his head to pray. And he's like, well, I'm thankful that I'm not like that publican over there. I'm pretty good. I'm not like him. And yet his eyes were on the publican and should have been on the Lord. And if we're not careful as Christians, we begin to let the world. And, and a lot of times we're taking small steps. You know, a lot of times we're not taking a big step. You know, it. We're here, and it's just a small step. And it's not really even that we're looking at the world and saying, you know, as long as I'm not there. But we're in the world, and we have a constant barrage from the world of not just 
how we ought to live, if you will, but they begin to define things differently than God does. Man, they begin to, I mean, um, you ever get frustrated hearing some of the stuff with uh, politics and they're talking and they start to say something, you're like, wait a minute, you're changing the definition on that word. You, you can't just change definitions and throw that word in there. That word means something. It doesn't matter what you're saying. That word, this is the definition of it. But if we're not careful, the world begins to do that. And we begin to look at the world and they begin to define things differently. And as Christians even, we begin to slide that way a little. Um, I've been talking to the teenagers about and be not conformed to this world. And I, I've been taking some ways that I think um, there are, Satan has open attacks against the church on conforming us to the world. And um, I, I think you can see it in the world. I think you can see in the world, um, you know, growing up, I would have never thought that there would be a large group of people in America um, who would be anti-Israel. I just, I just wouldn't have considered that. Like, that, that's not going to happen, man. Everybody I knew was pro-Israel. Um, even people who weren't really Christians still saw the benefit of us being an ally to them. And yet you go and you look at the news today and um, these people are out there and um, from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free. And, and they're doing all this and all kinds of college campuses to the point where a U.S. representative um, just, and the word just slipped my mind, was just censored by the House because of saying that. She went to a rally and said, from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free. And so, so thankfully, she was censored by the House, but a U.S. representative was out there saying those things. And, you know, I, I look back, and I would have never thought that would have happened. But it is happening. It's happening here in America. Uh, um, and, um, and obviously, there are verses, and as Christians, we understand that. I, I'm, I, I'll take a long time on this message, and you won't get out of here if I go through all my verses here. But, um, man, I, I would have never thought that I would have seen that. Man, another thing growing up, I would have never thought I'd see the homosexual advantage take, or agenda take over like it has. Um, man, growing up, that was, that, 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 those were dirty things. They were things that were not spoken of. Um, and I'm not even just talking about Christians. Um, man, the world didn't say it. it was derogatory to call something, someone something like that. And um, man, nobody wanted to have a part of that. Nobody wanted to hear about it. Don't ask, don't tell. Don't even bring it up. Man, nobody wanted to see that. And yet in today's day, to bring it up and say something against it, uh, you're hated. Now they'll say that you are the hateful one, but man, they will attack you and fight against you. And, and I'll just be honest with you. When I was younger, I would have never guessed that would have happened. I, I just wouldn't have. But the, the world goes so quickly and rapidly. Man, anti-Christian. Um, man, you, they start throwing around terms like, uh, oh, those fundamentalists. And, um, and, and throw around legalism and, and all kinds of things. And they try and put us, um, they, they try and make it look like we are the extremists here. Um, domestic terrorism. 
Um, man, and, and they, they attack Christianity. Again, when I was growing up, I would have never thought you'd see that. I, I mean, Christian, even people who were not Christian respected those who were. Thought, well, you know, I may not live that way, but those are some good people. And yet you look at the world today, how fast and how quickly they are going away from God. So quickly. But you know, I, I noticed this too. Um, so many people that growing up, when I was growing up, would have spoke against such things, keep their mouths shut. I think that's one reason we're moving so fast in that direction. Um, and I'll tell you what, I'll put a plug in here for pastor. Um, uh, and really, I, I'm trying to help you out with those following you, but it encourages pastor too. Um, man, a good amen in the service or not in of the head. Yeah, that's right. I agree with that. Um, that that's a big encouragement to the pastor. But I, I will tell you this too. Um, it's you identifying for those following behind you where you stand on that. I will tell you that that is so vital. Um, and I'm going to talk about some more stuff here in a minute. But there are times that the preacher can be preaching and saying something and, and you look out there and it looks like he's standing all alone. And, and I will tell you this, it's not just the preacher who sees that. It's your kids sitting right beside you. And it's that next generation following after you. And they're sitting here and they're looking at that preacher like, well, he's up there preaching, but he's the only one. And that's something for pastors. That's something extreme that, you know, he holds that, but no one else in here. And I'll tell you what, that's a blight on the church. Man, that next generation ought to know exactly where you stand. And that, that's one reason we're going so far so fast. Hey, I, I will tell you this. I know people who used to stand up for some of those things that I mentioned, who if you talk to them now, they'll be like, yeah. But you know, I've got a grandson. And you know, if I said something, he wouldn't want to come see me. You know, we had a family in church years and years ago. Great family, awesome family. As a matter of fact, pastor... And my oldest brother invited them to church. They were out driving, and they got stuck in the snow. And um, one of the, I love snow. One of the best things to do in the snow was to go out and dig people out. It just, it was fun, and it made me feel good. You know, I, I was like, Come, here, let me help you out there. You slid off the road? Yeah, I'll get you out. Um, man, I, I love doing that. But pastor and our oldest brother, they were driving, and um, there was a van stuck on the side of the road not far from our house. And uh, they got out, dug them out, pushed them out, and um, gave them an invitation to church. That family came to church for years. That guy mowed the church uh, lawn for a long time. And um, I remember when they stopped coming, and they said, well, our son won't go to our church. And um, so we're, we're going we're gonna to try and go around some different places, see if we can find a place where he'll fit in. And um, I, I didn't tell him this, and, and that wasn't my place, but um, you don't ever reach someone by going to where they are. Uh, man, the prodigal's father didn't go to the hog pen to get him out. Um, and had he done it, that prodigal wouldn't have come back right. 
Because the Bible says when the prodigal came to himself, that's when he came back to his father. And, um, man, I, I think of them going somewhere else, trying to hop around, find some place where their son would fit in. Um, you're going to reach someone by showing them where they have to come back to. Uh, that's what the father did. Am I right? The son looks and he's like, man, I know that even the servants in my father's house have it better than I. I I'm going back to where I need to be. And, and, and I will tell you this, just youth pastor talk, okay? Um, I have seen so many people try to not ostracize their children and their children had no idea where to come back to. And I've even seen it then when kids finally got out there and went so far and had to find, where do I get back to God? And they came back to where their parents met them in the middle and never got fully right with God. I was like, that's because you showed them that this is acceptable over here. I mean, I, I would guard that. There, the, people are not wonder where you stand. Man, especially when it comes to an issue that God deals with specifically in this word. Man, and I'm not saying we've got to go in a, and uh, be rude and abrasive to everybody. But th there ought not be a doubt where you stand. We can be nice. We can be loving. And we should be. But, man, we're supposed to hate the sin. I, um, I was preaching up at um, uh, my brother's for that. I have been blessed. And I was talking about ways that I had been blessed and things that were handed to me that I've been able to hand over. And um, I told, I, I said, my dad, I remember my dad, and one of the things I remember was a holy hatred for sin. And I talked about how we'd go out and we'd be out in public and there'd be a cigarette butt there. And my dad would step on it and say, wicked, we don't smoke, that's wicked. Man, I remember there'd be a magazine or something like that and they'd have, that was the, the Marvel man, that, uh, that cowboy, he'd be out there with a cigarette dangling from his lips. And my dad would rip it out. He'd be like, man, that's wicked, that's disgusting, we don't ever do that. Man, I have never smoked one time, never had a desire. Part of me was afraid that my dad would stomp on me. And um, he'd get, I, I didn't want that. And, um, man, I remember that. I remember that. And um, my kids have been going around, and we walked in uh, Sapo's over there, and they're like, wicked, wicked, we don't smoke. And um, yeah, there were some people sitting out there on the patio, and all, were they offended? I, I'll, give, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I don't care. If my kids get the fact that they better not pick up a cigarette and smoke, I'm sorry if someone else wants to light up and, and go do what they want. But if my kids are getting the point, I'm all right with that. And, um, man, I had, no, I had no doubt where my dad stood. Man, I knew there were things that if I did, my dad was going to kill me. And you know, I knew where he stood. Can I tell you this? Way too often today, kids really don't know where their parents stand. And I'm telling you right now, you can put this on about anything, about anything. Um, man, I, I've heard, I don't let my kids date. And I'm looking at their kids and I'm like, they don't know where you stand on dating then. Man, I've heard, I don't, we don't listen to that trash. Man, that music, that's wrong. I'm like, well, your kids sure don't know that. You and I, I found this. It's easy to talk big when I'm talking with the pastor. And it's a whole nother thing when I got to take a stand. 
Man, you, you ought to let that generation following you know where you stand. Man, pastor gets up and he gets preaching on some things. Um, every once in a while, it'd be good for your kids to just hear, amen. See you nodding. Man, every once in a while, it'd be good for you to go home and tell your kids, you hear what the pastor said? I want you to know, if you're ever doing that, I'm going to beat the fire. And you know, put a little fear in them. Man, let them know where you stand. Man, we take this wishy-washy stand on everything. And then we wonder, what happened to the generation coming? You, you didn't tell them where you stood. Man, you ought to make that obvious. And that, that was just youth pastor. That was all free, okay? Tonight I'm like filling in for pastor here. So that was, you don't, you're going to get a lot of youth pastor. I'm, I'm not going to lie. But um, you and I have seen some things in the Bible sometime, or in the church. Things that we, uh, man, we start to step that way of the world. Um, man, pastor preached that not, not that long ago on the Bible. And the importance of the King James uh, version of the Bible. I, I shouldn't say just version there. It's the King James Bible because those other versions are perversions. And uh, he laid it out incredibly well. And um, um, so I'm not going to go back and preach that message. Um, but I will ask you this. Um, do your kids at home know your stand on that? And uh, do they know where we stand? And here's the thing. I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I work with teenagers all the time. And that's not complaining. I love it. Um, I love working with teenagers. Um, people are like, are you ever going to stop working with teenagers? I said, well, they might kick me out sometime. Um, but uh, I, I love working with teenagers. I, I love seeing teenagers. I love witnessing to teenagers. Um, and uh, I love beating them in sports. That's the best. But, um, uh, man, I... I, I uh, I, so many times, teenagers are coming with questions. And, 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 and let, me, let me tell you this. Um, good church teenagers are coming with questions because they haven't been taught these things. Now, pastor preached a phenomenal message on it. I've covered it in youth group and stuff like that before. It's not that they've never heard it. But those closest, where are they standing on it? I'm telling you right now, we can tell them all kinds of stuff at church. But you know the biggest influencers of teenagers, and it's not just me saying this, this is all kinds of polls and research. You can look it up. The biggest influence of teenagers, parents. Hands down, by far. We look at, oh, well, it's their kids. And it's, uh, no, no, I mean, their friends. No, no, no. It's parents. They don't know where you stand. And man, you see that in the church as, as questions about the Bible. Um, man, you see in the church in laying aside standards and convictions. Um, the, uh, we, lay in, we live in a time where so many places are dropping standards and convictions. So many families are dropping standards and convictions. And, and I, I want you to know, um, I am, I'm going to try tonight not to lay down any standards or convictions or a place where you ought to stand. I just did on the King James Bible. Um, but uh, I'm going to try not to put anything out there as far as this is where you ought to be on that. Um, because, one, I, I don't think you should get that from a person. Um, I think you ought to get that from your personal relationship with God. Um, but um, 
We live in a time when standards and convictions are rapidly falling away. Um, if I can look at the Independent Baptist, um, you look at the Independent Baptist, um, 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s, somewhere around there. Um, uh, people look back at them and say, oh my goodness, they set a standard that this is what it took to be a good Christian and there was no relationship and that's why so many people turned away. Um, now, is some of that true? I, I'll be honest with you. Um, I can see where there were times standards might have been preached and some of the relationship aspect uh, left out a little. But can I tell you, that was not a fault of having standards and convictions. Okay? There, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, the relationship needs dealt with too. But we swapped like totally on the other side of that and said, no, it's all about relationships. Forget about standards and convictions. And can I tell you this? Two of them go hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other or you got problems. Um, and, 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 and this is simple enough. Um, I, have, I have a wife right here. Um, she holds me to certain standards. And, and, and I will tell you this. Everybody in this room holds me to certain standards on my relationship with her. Now, here's the thing. If I do not uphold those standards, relationship is broken. And every one of us in here understands that. Now, why do I hold those standards? Because of my relationship with her. And the same is true with God. Man, standards and convictions are, are not a bad thing. But we live in a time that they try and make that a bad word. Oh, man, you're legalistic. Oh, yeah, and they try and make that bad. Can I tell you this? Standards and convictions are not the problem. Relationship is not the problem. It's when you take one without the other. And we live in a time of this great falling away of standards and convictions. Um, and, and again, you, you put it in your mind, what standards and convictions have you seen people changed on in the time you've been in church. And it's right and left. Um, and, and we live in that time. Hey, we live in a time of acceptance of sin. I, I mentioned it earlier. People who would have stood strong here who are now, I can't say anything. I might offend my friend over there. Or I might offend someone I love or I care about. So I'm not going to take a stand on sin because I've got to be accepting of this person. Now, now don't get me wrong. We ought to be we, we ought to be the uh, most, in, uh, most inclusive people trying to draw all men onto Christ. We ought to be reaching out. We ought to love everybody. And, and, but that does not mean we are accepting of sin. Man, light hath no fellowship with darkness. Uh, God says, hey, you want to be accepting of sin? Well, count me out. I'm out of here. And, man, I, I've seen that in the church. Um, I, I'm going to give you a couple, a couple ways here, I think, that I have seen um, as, as a youth director and conversations that I've had with good Christian teenagers over things. Um, I, I think of this. You take the, the issue of abortion. Of abortion. I, I would say if we were to ask in here, we, we are overwhelmingly against abortion. And, um, man, the Bible is very clear on that. And, and I, I'll show a couple of verses here in a minute as I look at things on that. But, um, man, I've sat down and had conversations with good Christian churched teenagers on how they thought abortion should be right in some circumstances. I'm like, man, that's murder. And 
Yet I've had conversations with people who grew up in church, teenagers, who aren't settled on that. Why are they not settled on that? Where are they not hearing those things? Um, man, I've had, uh, I, I've had conversations with people who grew up in church on, on gender, gender identity. Um, now, the Bible is very clear on that. The Bible says in Genesis, in the image of God created he them, male and female created he them. Man, God doesn't leave any question there. But I will tell you this, um, we are a few short years away from the vast majority of people saying there are not just two genders. And I can tell you why that is. Because those generations who would take a stand, if you will, are not passing that on. And, um, I, and I'm talking about church. Hey, the roles that God created with gender. Hey, the Bible still says in Ephesians 5, 22, wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Verse 25, husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Um, can I tell you this? Among Christian young people, okay? Christian teenagers. And I will tell you this. Among independent Baptist Christian teenagers, from my experience in dealing with them, girls grow up in that thinking Oh, well, I'm not going to follow that because, man, um, independent Baptists think that a girl's just got to stay at home and be meek and quiet, and she can't go out and do anything. And that's what the pastor thinks. That's what the church thinks. And I'm not going to have anything to do with that. Um, Now, they're getting fed that from somewhere. And the world's feeding that to them. I get that. But, man, no, no one's showing them that's wrong. And here's the thing. We, we all say, oh, what should a woman be like? Proverbs 31. Uh, read Proverbs 31. That is an industrious woman. That is not someone who sits quietly at home and is, a, is afraid to talk. And, and uh, I mean, that's not. Now, the world says that's what Christians think of women, that women ought to be. That's not a biblical role. But here's the thing. The generation coming up, that's what their opinion is on what we think. And how we believe. Why do they think that way? Hey, in, in attire. In attire. Um, you know, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 22.5, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Uh, the Bible talks about, hey, there ought to be a difference in clothing. The, the Bible talks about nakedness. Uh, the Bible talks about in Proverbs chapter 7, that they met him a woman in the attire of an harlot. Attire of a harlot. Um, now, now, what does all that mean? Again, I, I'm not here to set a standard for you. I, I think you ought to go to the Bible, and, and you ought to look at what the Bible says. I, I, I will tell you this, and th- this is what I'm, I'm coming around to here, if you stay with me till the end, um, about 9 o'clock tonight. Um, <laughs> every time God gives a command, or establishes something in the Bible. God defines it. And if you will, God gives us a biblical conviction. From that biblical conviction, those things that do not change, we set our personal standards. Now, I'm not here to tell you where your personal standard ought to be. That ought to come from a biblical conviction. But man, the Bible's clear on this. And I will tell you this. 
generations coming. Don't know where to put that. Um, on the Bible, I already talked about translations of the Bible. Hey, I will tell you this about music. About music. Hey, do you know what the music was made for? Um, Psalms 51. I, I won't take the time. Oh, I will read it. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psalter and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Uh, um, and there are other verses, and I won't for sake of time, but that's showing all these things. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. That's what music was made for. Hey, in Ephesians 5.19, where the Bible's talking about being filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. God created music to praise Him, to lift up His name, to help us come in worship to Him. Um, now I'll tell you this, there's a whole lot of music out there in the world that has nothing at all to do with that. I will tell you this too, as Christians, and I will tell you this, I see this a lot in the generation that I, that I am working with, and I see it in the generations previous to that. I think if there's one thing you can really look at this illustration of God and church and the world, our eyes have been way too often on the world, and we've allowed them to define what godly music is. And they throw the word Christian around like crazy. And they put it on all this stuff. And um, again, I'm not here to help you. I'm not here to set that standard for you. But I think you ought to go to the Bible on what that standard should be. And for me, especially when I look at that, I think of 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 16. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now you may sit there and say, well, Pastor Adam, I didn't hear one thing about music there. And while music was not mentioned, I, I will tell you this. Um, a lot of what the world deems Christian, um, what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteous? What communion hath light with darkness? God does not communicate with darkness. What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? I would tell you, I'd be very careful allowing the world to determine what music I have. Um, that verse 16 says, In what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You say, well, what's got that got to do with music? Um, I will tell you this, um, music and worship, God designed music for worship. It goes hand in hand. That is worship of God or worship of others. Uh, a couple of illustrations, um, Moses on the mountain, they make the golden calf down there. Moses comes down and Joshua's like, there's the sound of war. Like, that's not the sound of war. And that's their music. That's their music. They're worshiping a false god. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King says, hey, when you hear the sound of all these instruments, bow down to my false god. And you'll find music goes hand in hand with worship, whether that be of God or of the world. And I will tell you this, if we take what the world has to offer and try to merge that with God, and God says, uh, what communion hath light with darkness? 
Man, what, what, what fellowship hath Christ with Belial? Man, I, I, I don't mess with that. And, and I will tell you this. I would not let the world define my music. Um, and they've been doing that for a long time. Um, man, there, there's a whole lot of music that you ought to go to God and ask him what standard he would have. Man, on our testimonies, um, man, on the words we say, I mean, and granted, we've all been guilty at some time of letting some word come out of our mouth that we should not have said, whether that just be something harsh or something said in anger or bitterness or, God forbid, the, a wrong kind of word. Um, I mean, we're supposed to have a testimony, our words, our attitudes, do all things without murmurings and disputings, and rejoice evermore. Uh, um, man, these, these things that so often as Christians... We're like, well, I'm not down there with the world. I don't say, I don't take God's name in vain, but I use a slang for it. I don't say the whole sentence, but I say what the, so it puts it in their mind. Like, like we're, we're like, I'm not the world. Look, I'm separate from the world. Man, we ought to have a testimony. Impurity, impurity. Hey, the Bible says marriage is honorable and all in the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. I will tell you this. There are hymns in the hymn book that I do not sing in the youth house with some of your teenagers because of the way they twist the words into perversion. And I'm talking about churched teenagers who were raised in this church, that there are hymns in the hymn book that I will not sing with them because I look and I see the smirks and the way they turn it dirty. And I'm like, purity's a dirty word anymore. Man, the world makes movies mocking being a virgin. But, but I'll be honest with you, so often that next generation, they get around with their friends and they laugh about how they've pushed the boundaries and how far they've gone. And you know what? It's not a thing done in shame. The Bible has a word for that. The Bible calls it a, a whore's forehead. It says they've lost their blush. They laugh about it. They think it's funny. They've got a hardened forehead, just like a whore, a harlot, who's been living that kind of life and doesn't see anything wrong with it. And can I tell you what it is? It's that too often, as Christians, we have allowed the world to define what we believe and where we take a stand. Or we have allowed how I feel about it to define and how I take a stand. Man, I shudder to think that someone could show me something from this Bible and say, here's what God's word says. And I'm not willing to accept it because it's more comfortable for me to have this standard right here. It's easier. It's more comfortable. And don't get me wrong, I, I agree with that. It's a whole lot easier to give up on some of this and to have my eyes on the world and say, as long as I keep them out of the world, I'm all right. 
and I allow the world to define what I believe, the world to define where I take a stand, I allow my comfort to, de- to decide my standards and my convictions. And, and the Bible says, uh, just in case, like, I'm a pretty good person, but the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So when I, when I come up things with my own way and, and I'm trusting myself, and the Bible says, man, it's, it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? And I will tell you this. I have sat across the table from church teenagers who grew up in church who have brought up something, and I said, well, let's look at what the Bible said, and I showed them verse after verse, and their reply was, I just don't see it that way. I'm like, what did the Bible say? Well, I know that, but I don't see it that way. And can I tell you what's happened too many times? There has been something that God has said that we have sat on our throne and said, this is what I'm willing to accept and I'm not willing to accept that. And I will tell you this, that is why when I come and it's what apparel I should wear, this is how I feel about it, this is what I'm going to do. What music should I listen to, this is how I feel about it, this is what I'm going to do. And then I look at my kids and they're like, well, what kind of lifestyle do I want? This is what I'm comfortable with. And I said, no, 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 wait, look at what the Bible says. And they said, well, where was that? When it came to how you should dress. Where was that? When it came to what music you should listen to. And we are losing the generations to come. Because we only stand on the portion of scripture that I feel comfortable standing on. And I'm going to blow a gasket and I'm going to tell my kids, we don't live like that because the Bible says this. But they're going to hear me when I go home cuss out the other side of my mouth. What's the Bible mean to you, Dad? Man, I'm going to tell them, no, we stand like that. This is our church. We believe that. And then they're going to come back and they're going to say, well, well, Mom, what about your, your attire? You're not following a biblical mandate there. Where's the Bible now? You know why we're losing the next generation? Because we look at this and say, I don't like that part. I'm going to rip it out. But man, I'm going to stand on this part. Hey, kid, the Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Man, you, you better obey me. You better honor me. And they're like, like you honored God? And I sit across from your teenagers. And I take time. And I show them what the Bible says. And they're like, I don't see it that way. Because they got a mom and dad. They got someone in their life. He's like, well, we stand on it when it's convenient for us. And I will tell you this. I love you all. I love your kids. And I love you. And I will get up here and I will give you both barrels. (laughs) I know we got good families here. I don't doubt that for a minute. I thank the Lord I get to work with your teenagers. And you got good teenagers. But what defines where you stand?
Is it the world? Is it yourself? Or do you go to this book and say, God, what do you say? God always defines it. I don't have the time to go in this, and there are several you could go to to define it. But man, I I, I mentioned abortion earlier, and I'm not going to tell you where to set all your other standards, but I will tell you they're they're all clearly laid out in the Bible. But man, abortion, God says, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. Plain as day, right? Yeah, but they say it's a fetus, you know. Okay, God answers that as well. Um, in Exodus 22, 22 through 25, and it says, if, a man, if men strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall surely be punished according as a woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judge determines. And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. What's he saying? He said, if two men are here fighting, and there's a lady who's pregnant, and she gets hurt in the middle of their fighting, and her seed depart from her. That baby is born, and there's no mischief. No, there's nothing wrong with that baby. She's just rushed into delivery, if you will, and she has that baby. The Bible says he's got to pay what the dad puts on him, but the Bible says if that unborn baby is forced into delivery, and it loses its life, or loses an eye or a hand or foot, he says that guy pays in like manner. Why? Because you killed a living being. You killed a person. That's not just a fetus. That, that is a person. The, the Bible's clear on that. Uh, Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. What, what, what am I saying there? God established, thou shalt not kill. God defined it that it is even for the unborn. And I will tell you this, in every one of these areas, whether that be music, standards, our words, our actions, um, the Bible, all of those things, you can go to verses and you can say, okay, here's what God commanded. Okay, how does God define that? Don't let a person set your personal standards. That should be a biblical conviction that God defines and pass that on to the next generation. Let them know this is where I stand and this is why I stand here. Man, pass that on. We do not want to lose anymore. But it takes us defining things from the absolute authority, God's word. And following that and standing strong on that to pass that down to the next generation. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Lord, thank you so much for our church. Lord, I love our church. I love our people. I love our teenagers. I love our parents. I love our families here. Lord, I don't want it to seem like, oh, I just get up here and I'm jumping all over people. But Lord, we are losing people. Lord, we can look at teenagers who've gone through the youth group since I've been here who've gone off and followed the world. Lord, we can look about it back through the history of Grace Baptist Church. Lord, not just our church, others. Lord, we don't want to see that. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to go to your word 
to get the biblical convictions that you lay out there, to establish our personal standards on your holy word. Lord, that we would stand strong on that. We'd be able to pass that to the next generation. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. You say, I know for sure I'm on my way to heaven. Would you raise your hand? I know for sure I'm on my way to heaven. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Maybe you're in here tonight and you say, I am not sure I'm on my way to heaven. There's some doubt there. Would you raise your hand? Anyone say, I don't know for sure I'm on my way to heaven. You say tonight in some way, God spoke to my heart. Would you raise your hand? Thank you. Would you stand to your feet? And as the instruments plays, the, the altar is open. Do business with God. I, I will tell you this. I, I mentioned sometimes it'd be good for that next generation to hear an amen and see a nodding of a head. I'll tell you what. Sometimes it's good for them to see dad and mom, grandma and grandpa, humble themselves and go to an altar and say, God, here's what you spoke to my heart about. And sometimes people won't move because they've never seen dad or mom move. They they won't get down and pray and humble themselves before God because they've never seen mom and dad do it. And I want to show my kids it's a natural and it's a right thing to live the way God said, to go before him. 